SMQBs. This is episode 64. The boys are flying a little light. We're down two this week. Still a great episode. We cover the inaugural Miami Formula One Grand Prix, which was Super Bowl-esque in the party atmosphere and the red carpet that was rolled out. Oh, yeah, and there was a pretty sick race to go along with it. Uh, Also cover all the stuff happening in the NBA, not just stuff on the court, the MVP race, crazy referees and insane fans. Talk about the most outrageous, unbelievable, craziest Kentucky Derby of all time. And then, of course, we have to wrap with a punchable face of the week and a semi Ted Lasso moment. Check it out. Leave us a five star review. Thanks for listening. SMQPs, this is episode 64. Maybe we should call it 63 and a half because we're running a little light tonight. We've got one QB who's uh, watching baseball playoff games, kitty playoff games, and one who's floating down a river in Europe somewhere. So we're a little light, but that's okay. We've got House and Pope here with uh, Bison tonight. And Show this is... I think I think our reporter in in uh, on the Danube is on the way to Ukraine via boat, so we'll be interested to hear from him. Well, <laughs> damn the torpedoes! Full speed ahead. All right, number sixty four. We have not just not just the two time Super Bowl winner, but a winner of Super Bowls one and two. Oh, a five-time NFL champion, 61, 62, 65, 66, and 67. Five-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro. Pretty good. Three-time Pro Bowler, NFL 1960s All-Decade team, NFL 50th anniversary All-Time team, Packers Hall of Fame. I was born in the 60s, I should know. I mean, he's a offensive lineman, did you say? He is. Right. Let me put it to you this way. He threw one of the defining blocks in NFL history, opening up a hole for Bart Starr's game-winning QB sneak in the ice ball. Not a clue. I just don't know any of the Packers other than Bart Starr and Vince Lombardi. Well, we are here to uh, to, to give a little education to you guys and to our listeners. And it's Jerry Kramer, number oh, yes. four. Jerry Kramer. Jerry Kramer. Kramer. Pretty impressive career though uh if you if you think about all those things i mean he was solid and i think i read that he's actually not in the hall of fame but he's been listed as the number one player of all time who's not in the hall of fame or some Mm. shit like that how could the legend committee not get him in with some of the pieces of garbage they have going in now i don't know i don't know bison are, are you uh are you still like floating from being the host of F1? I am. Uh, I am tired from F1 <laughs> weekend. <laughs> it was. Uh, we're going to talk about it uh, in a little bit, but uh, well, why don't we just kick off with that? Because that was a pretty big, pretty Huge. big event. Yeah. Um, you know, this was this was the inaugural Miami Grand Prix, uh, and I think they it was like the crypto Miami Grand Prix because that's what 
I mean, nothing says Miami right now better than crypto. I mean, that's about, that's about, you know, that, that about sums up Miami. A mirage, a mirage. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Fake money, um, literally fake money. Um, But no, I mean, listen, Miami rolled out the red carpet in a big way. Um, This, I can't think of an event that's been as hyped in a long time as this Grand Prix was. I mean, obviously, the timing was unbelievable with the rise to the sport, thanks to you know Drive to Survive. And there's just there's we've talked about it a ton on here. I know there are people who were into F1 before that and who are the real you know uh, gearheads or the petrol heads, as, as I think they call them in in Europe. But um, you know this the, the United States is having a huge interest in F1 right now because of the Netflix series, and then to come to Miami. Uh, which is, you know, quintessential party town. The celebs were here. I'm sure by now everybody's seen the picture Mahomes. in the Mercedes. Yeah, no, but the one in the Mercedes uh, garage of, uh, of it was Brady, Lewis Hamilton, David Beckham, and Michael Jordan. So you have the greatest quarterback ever, the greatest driver ever, one of the greatest soccer players ever, and one of the top Say three it. or four basketball players. Say one it. of the top three or four <laughs> basketball goats. players ever. Goats, goats, goats. What a so, but um, listen, I, you know, beyond that, the, the parties were unbelievable. I mean, there was a pop-up on the beach that was $3,000 ahead for a dinner one night. Um, I mean, just, you know, glitz and glamour. Walking through the parking lot, yesterday where where we parked right i mean this was like just a regular this was not a fancy parking lot reserved for anybody special this was just any joe's parking lot to go into and i mean there were tens of millions of dollars of cars i mean we must have parked within you know spinning distance of seven lamborghini suvs um Rolls Royce, Bentleys, Ferraris, I mean, you name it, everything was there. And, uh, you know, other than the heat, because it was hot, I mean, it was really hot. I don't know how people sat in the grandstands uncovered all day in the sun, but I don't think you're going to hear any complaints about it. I think Miami pulled it off. The one one complaint, you know, some people, some of the drivers were – uh, griping a little bit about the the track, the circuit, but you know that's that's a first time. They'll make some adjustments to it. They'll they'll talk to the drivers and to the teams. Um, but it was, I mean, it was a huge success. It was unbelievable. Yeah, I hadn't appreciated until the end of the race when they were just talking about little tweaks that they could make to the track. That I think there's a ten year commitment to this race. There is. Yep. Uh, that's unbelievable. But he, I have a couple questions from the fan perspective. First is just how loud it is and do you absolutely have to wear something for your ears or is it doable without it and second um depending on where you're seated are you you kind of have a singular vantage point or you can can you how many turns can you see like walk us through what the fan experience is like yeah so um we had earplugs everybody had earplugs i wore them the first day i didn't really wear them the second day i don't think you you don't really need them i mean it's the same thing like when you go to a concert, right? A lot of people wear, where I guess they have special ones for music where it just lowers the, the volume, but doesn't distort it. 
uh, for concerts. Uh, I think, you know, you probably could should have worn them, but the second day we didn't wear them. We didn't, I don't think we needed them. Um, where we were sitting, we were really lucky. Um, we had a good friend who, who invited us and had gotten tickets because the thing sold out in like 12 minutes when the tickets went on sale 18 months ago. Um, so we were at the start finish line, uh, what was called the start finish club. We had, you know, seats undercover. We could turn around, walk up a couple steps and there were multiple bars, but also we could go back onto the, like the walkway, the, the, I don't know, the catamaran, whatever they have set up back there and see the long straightaway stretch that was on the back coming into turn 16, 17. So we could see the cars coming down that straightaway and then go back to our seat and quickly and get there fast enough to see them after the turn come to the straightaway uh, to the finish line and, and where the, and where the grid was. Um, but, you know, it is, you know, look, most people haven't been to an F1 race because there's only uh, until yesterday, there had only been Austin in the U S uh, so you, people had to travel for it. Uh, I'm sure most of our listeners probably have not been to, to an F1 race, but you are pretty much stuck in one spot. I mean, it's not like a golf tournament where you can meander the course uh, and get different vantage points. I mean, we could have gone down out of our seats and, and found parts of the course that were in the, you know, it's so big. They have an East campus, a West campus, a North campus. I mean, depending on where you park and go in, there were people we knew who were on other parts of the course. So we'd never even thought about trying to meet up with them. It's just too big. Um, so you could have walked out and found a place to camp out and, and gotten a, a, you know, a glimpse of the cars as they fly by. Uh, but pretty much you're at one vantage point. You know how they do for like all-star games or Super Bowls or stuff like that, that they create some kind of fan experience that for every fan when they show did, did F1 do that? Was there like any area of this whole venue where there was like a fan experience? Yeah, there were things like um that, like they had a, a a booth set up where you could get in line and you could put a put a tire on, right? Like like you you'd have you know you and a buddy take a tire off and throw one on, see how fast you could do it. Well, that's awesome. Um yeah, they had they had like go karts and and things Simula- like that around. Simulators. I didn't see a simulator uh, anywhere, but I mean they had a ton of stuff. I mean, there's tons of food set up, and and of course, you know, champagne bars and and drink bar. I mean, every every kind of you know booze had a had a station set up, and uh, they had you know like the new Mercedes electric uh, EQS was set up on display, and we got to check that out. And so they, I mean, it was a you know, one of our buddies who's not an F1 fan, he was like, race, what race? This was an awesome festival. <laughs> that's because that's, that's what it, cool. I mean, that's what it felt like. Once you got in, uh, I mean, there was tons of stuff going on for sure. Was there, was there a bias for any team that you could detect Man, I, from the crowd? I will, I will tell you the people we were sitting around were hardcore Red Bull fans, Huh? hardcore. And they knew their stuff too. I mean, a couple people in front of us were turning around, you know, telling us, you know, what was going on. I mean, and, and they were a little annoying, but, but, but they knew their <laughs> stuff. That was for sure. I mean, they weren't, they, they didn't get when we were joking a lot of times. And so they were trying to like correct us. but, um, but no, I mean, there was a lot of Red Bull fans. Um, I saw a lot of McLaren gear, actually a lot of McLaren gear. Danny um, Ricardo but, faces. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, you, but, you, had, uh, you had the catbird seat. You were able to watch the entire grid as it got prepared for the race. You got the, you had the view of the pit, right? Yeah, we had, I mean, the seats were great because we did, we, we saw the, um, I don't know the, you know, what do they call it when, when everyone just walks through down there, you know, the, in pit lane, I mean, uh, at the start at the grid, and then, you know, you see the formation lap take off and they come in and you're there for lights out. And then of course the big, uh, the big pass Verstappen when he passed, uh, Charles Leclerc was right in front of us. I mean, that came, I mean, right in front of us, it was so cool. cool that, I mean, they were wheel to wheel, like just right where we were sitting and, you know, there's there for about half a second, not even half a second, but, but that all happened right in front of us. And Man, then there, you could are there, see the pits. are there video boards that you can watch the race and know, like, as they're coming towards you, you know, that Verstappen is, is got DRS and he's going to be coming around the corner and might be able to get him. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, the video boards they'll do better next time. They weren't, they weren't big enough, uh, to be able to really see, but, you know, we knew, and, and you had the app, we had the app going and we could tell how close I mean, the app is unbelievable. The app really is real time because I was looking at the app telling the people we were with, okay, he's within a second. He's going to have a chance here. He's going to get DRS on this, you know, cool. on this straightaway. And so when, when they came around uh, the time Verstappen passed Leclerc, I, I mean, we knew it was going to happen. We knew, we knew this was going to be a shot for him to go past them. Um, so, and then, yeah, we could see the pits. And one thing that's cool is, you know, before the, uh, the practice or the qualifying, you know, when you see the, when it, nothing's happening on the track and then the cars start coming out of the garages and going the, just the energy just starts building. Right. And then like, you know, like Lance Stroll will come out and it's like, Ooh, and then, but then like, you know, Lewis will come out and the place will go nuts. And it was just like, it was, it was very cool. Uh, to see the cars pull out of the garage and start going, especially during the qualifying. Uh, so it's it's a good environment. I mean, it's really cool to see what's happening um, that you don't see on TV. Having said that, you can definitely see a lot more watching watching a race on TV. I mean, we didn't see a lot of the skirmishes that were happening, you know, while they were happening. Uh, we knew we knew what what was going on because we would see the cars come by and they'd be in a different order. And, um, but you definitely couldn't see as much, you know, like when you watch on TV and if there's a, if there's a skirmish for 11th and 10th, right. And the 11th guy is trying to get into 10th to get points. They show you that you don't necessarily know that's happening when you're at the track. So it, it is remarkable that the way Americans interest in sport can affect, you know, an overall international sport. You know, this has gone from barely a touch to the States at Coda and Austin to now Austin and Miami and Las Vegas. This is all once Americans saw it on, like you said, drive to survive on Netflix. I mean, it is totally affecting the sport and some of the pre-race um, interviews the drivers know it. The drivers understand fully well how important it is that America America influences F1. The money it brings to it, the fandom, the purchase of gear, like all of this stuff. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, it was really interesting, too. So uh, Will Buxton from Drive to Survive fame uh, and, I mean, really longtime journalist in the sport, 
he was talking about a couple of things I thought were interesting. One, how when Liberty Media acquired F1, that's when it really they started to do things like, hey, Netflix, you know, get, you know, let, let's do something like this or let's let the drivers have personalities on social media. I guess Eccleston, who who individually owned it before, was brilliant in creating it as a as an entity as a thing where he was the one who got teams to commit to 20 races a year i think it started out with like 12 races a year and then he would go to circuits and say i'm going to guarantee you the 20 best drivers in the world are going to come here but if he was at hard rock stadium and hard rock wasn't paying to be a sponsor he would have had black tape up covering everything up so i mean he he ruled with an iron fist basically and his comment was he wanted his fans to be people who could afford to buy a Rolex. That's what he thought should be an F1 fan. Liberty Media came in and and totally changed it. The other thing that Buxton said that I thought was really interesting, and he was like, you know, Austin is a great race because, of course, there's been a Grand Prix in Austin for, I don't know, eight or nine years now, I guess. Um, and he said it's a great race. The drivers love going there. The teams love going there. But this felt like an American sporting event. And and even a number of the drivers were, I can't remember if it was uh, George Russell or something said, Americans just do things differently. And yeah. I mean, they were saying this had that Super Bowl week feel to it. The drivers were in town from Wednesday on, which I guess is, is very rare that they're there that early. Um, so it was, you know, this was definitely the United States putting its mark on F1, there is a 10-year contract. Vegas is coming. Uh, oh, can you imagine? Uh, I'll be Vegas. very interested to see if what the turnout is for Miami next year when it's not the first one and when Vegas is going to be coming a couple months later. It'll be very I'll be very curious to see if if this was a, a once uh one time, you know, phenom where everyone was like, gotta be there for the first one, or do they come back in, in a year? I think they'll come back. Maybe not all the celebs, but they'll come back. It's, it's like a, having the Super Bowl every year. It's right. That's what it's going to be like for a while. Totally. Yeah. And there was an actual race, uh, by the way, which uh, which was, you know, listen, we I don't know that any of the SMQBs are Max Verstappen fans, but man, he drove a hell of a race yesterday. I mean, he he had the the faster straight line car. But I was, you know, my view was that the Ferrari was going to be better. There were some little, you know, twists and turns to the course where they, what they call it, a, a, a mistake creator. I think they had like one little corner in the course where they specifically called it a mistake maker or mistake generator. Uh, and I thought that was where the Ferrari would, would just be too much because it was, the cars really had to slow down to go through it. But Verstappen, you know, he once he passed Leclerc, I mean, he just drove a perfect race. Leclerc made a couple little tiny mistakes, and when you don't have the faster car in the straightaways, you know you can't make little mistakes like he did. And so it, it really was an exciting race, uh, even though you know it seemed like it was over. And then there was a safety car, and so you you did have a you got sort of round two of Leclerc versus Verstappen to, to catch him, but he just wasn't didn't have the speed at the end of the day. There were there were four laps that were really exciting where Ferrari was chasing Red Bull from two to one and Red Bull Perez was chasing, chasing Science, Science from four to three. And they both were 
within a second, both in DRS where they could pass. And it just never happened. I mean, everyone was like waiting for that thrilling moment. It was never happened, but it was, it was good. It's great. It's great that we hosted one. It's great. I'm thrilled that you were able to be there. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. It was a really great weekend. So you're Next spoiled. Race. You're spoiled now for F1. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, so start finish sweet. I mean, you know, we'll be yeah. over in Barcelona, probably in the grandstands somewhere. <laughs> That's okay. It would still be fun. So anyway, great weekend. It was uh really I was I was fortunate to be there and uh, appreciate the opportunity that our friends gave us. Um so while while everybody was heading home from F1, they were racing out of out of there to get home to see some NBA playoffs because Miami, of course, is is playing in that. And so there we we got to talk a little NBA madness this week. Pope, what's going on in the NBA? Well, they were disappointed uh as they <laughs> got to their TVs and their super, you know, luxurious cars or watching it on the way home. Uh, because kudos to House uh Ooh. and the Sixers. Um Embiid uh, is back. The beard uh, made a return and that series is evened up at two. And, you know, you've got to like, I, I want to hear what house has to think, but you've got to like the momentum that Philly is carrying back to Miami. And right now Miami is Jimmy Butler and nobody else really is picking up the slack. And you, you've got, you've got Maxi, you've got uh, Embiid and you've got, um, the beard who are driving Philly and they're, they're going to be tough. Um, that is, uh, uh, you know, that could go, that actually could go six. Philly could take them in game five and come home and, and take care of business in game six. Um, uh, and I'll jump over to the other two, two series, uh, you know, not just doing straight conference here, but, uh, my Mavs had an amazing weekend and they, they came home, uh, everybody, except for maybe the team itself had written them off. They're like, yeah, it was a good year. They beat Utah. They advanced to second round first time since championship in 2011. But, uh, you know, they're not ready yet to play a team like the Suns. And Brunson's been exposed. uh, And he's not really Luka's number two. And lots of questions here. But Phoenix is going to dismiss the Mavs, whether it's in four or five. It's a done deal. Uh, And Dallas showed up. On Friday night, uh, and and they contained CP3. They frustrated him. Uh, he committed seven turnovers, which is very unusual for him. Um, you know, Booker got his points, um, but Luca, uh, you know, wasn't all Luca. Brunson came to play. Bullock came to play. Um, and then in Game Four, uh, they had Bison Bertrands. Yeah, Davis four Bertrands out of five three pointers had a better game than Dinwiddie. So, uh, and, and then, you know, Dorian Finney Smith had eight, three pointers. Better, better keep Bertans on the bench the rest of the series. That's, that's, those are well, his look, four if, threes. If, if nothing else, we got good use out of them. And, and CP three got really frustrated. I think some of those calls, and we talked about that in a minute about refs, but I think some of the calls were probably bad calls against him, but he got really frustrated and he did make himself uh, into a position where he had some stupid fouls go against him. Um, and, and he admitted as much, uh, you know, I, I was really surprised to see how the Suns came, uh, unglued a little bit, especially in game four, uh, and the Mavericks, they just, you know, they're, they're all about the team. I mean, they're, you watch the body language on the court and it's very different, uh, when they're playing at home. So, you know, can they take that on the road? Um, I don't know, but 
you know, what you don't remember is that Dallas had the second best record in the NBA after the trade deadline. So arguably, you know, with this team that they have now, they're the second best team in the NBA post trade deadline. And they're, uh, that's only behind the Celtics uh, who the Celtics will go, go over there in a second, but the Mavs, I mean, I actually think they're going to lose in seven still, but I, I'm not going to be surprised uh, if they win in six. Uh, I, I just don't know if the Suns can come back. Uh, that being said, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Suns uh, torch them on a tomorrow night. Um, and then the Celts Bucks, uh, Boston has to win. They can't go down three one against the Bucks, defending uh, NBA champions. Giannis is taking over with uh, a supporting cast. Uh, Tatum needs to step up. I, I don't know if they can do it. House and I were texting. I, I think, I think the thought is that uh, that series. Celtics are in big trouble. Um, and then the other uh, series, you know, it's unfortunate. It looks like John ja Morant's not going to play in game four uh, tonight uh, because of a knee injury. I, I'm not convinced that Jordan Poole caused that injury. Uh, if you look at the replay, I mean, he just barely got his knee. I think Ja got hurt earlier, uh, but, you know, we'll see. But I, I don't think it matters. Oh, was, that the, was that the loose ball thing where he was like, Close to center court. I, I watched that a yeah. hundred times. Yeah. I never understood where the injury happened. I, no. I, I mean, kept watching it. I'm like, I don't, I don't understand what happened. He, he clearly got his knee, but he didn't pull it hard. I mean, it was just barely contacted it. Yeah. Uh, but, but that being said, I mean, Golden State is finally firing on all cylinders. And I think they're probably playing the best of any team right now in, in the playoffs. Uh, if, if Clay Thompson hadn't been hurt most of the year, if Steph hadn't gone out for his extended period, I, I think Golden State Phoenix would have been a dogfight to the finish for number one in the West. And, and I think I think the Golden State's going to take care of Memphis with or without Ja. I just hate, hate seeing somebody like Ja not be able to play but and use it potentially as an excuse because I think Golden State's going to win that series. So um, I think we have two really good maybe seven-game series ahead of us. And I think the other two might be uh, done pretty quickly. Um, and let's talk about MVP because there's other stuff to talk about in the NBA house. Second uh, year in a row. looks like your guy's going to come up short. Yeah. I mean, you know, talking about that Sixers heat series, there was a play last night where Miami kept clawing back and the Sixers were up one Oh nine, one Oh three with about, I don't know, close to two minutes left. And the shot clock was running down. Maxie had the ball at the top. And Jimmy Butler ever so slightly drifted away from Tobias Harris down low to cover Joel Embiid up top, which would have been a double team on Embiid. They wanted to deny Embiid the ball. Maxie saw it immediately and threw an alley-oop to Tobias Harris put kind of put the game away. That is why Joel Embiid, just one of the reasons, the amount of attention he draws that can change a game will never show up on a stat sheet. Um, look, there's a lot that will be debated about this. Jokic's numbers are impressive. 27, 13, and 8. He shot 58% from the field. Uh, he had the highest player efficiency rating in history. Um, 
a lot of folks are saying this is an award for the stats geeks. You know, there are these ratings now, the PER, the player efficiency rating, the Raptor rating, his stats on paper are off the charts. That said, in the first round, in a couple of games, in the last minutes of the game, they had Jokic on the bench because of the defensive liability that he can be in games. I, You know, Jokic is sitting at home for the second year in a row. And yes, he's very impressive without Murray and Porter, but Embiid was doing this without Harden most of the year with the Simmons uh, drama going on with a new player, Maxi, developing and just dominating, just absolutely dominating. He's unguardable one-on-one. He's an incredible defensive player. I, I think it should have gone to Embiid. Uh, there's a lot of of the a lot of folks in the player community, the player um, and like the Stephen A. Smith types on TV personalities wanted to go to Embiid. I think the writers who look at the stats and are impressed covering basketball wanted to go to Jokic. There's a claim that there's a bias. I don't really believe this. This is even as a conspiracy theory gone a little too far, even for me. But there's a that the NBA has a bias against the process that originally created Embiid, the tanking strategy, and that they're never going to reward the process by giving Embiid an MVP. That's oh, way, no, I don't buy that. That's, that's a yeah, bridge that's, too far. But there, there's some crazy. of that out there. But but you know, let's talk about Embiid stats. He had the league leading scorer at thirty point six a game. He had twelve boards a game, and he had four assists. So his numbers were were on par. With 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 the Joker, I mean, it's it's uh, how about the eye test? I mean, the eye test to me, Embiid's a better player. I mean, Embiid, look, of all the sports, NBA is probably the least of what I watch. Right. But during playoffs, I watch a lot more, obviously, like like a lot of people. Embiid is the scariest guy in the court anywhere ever. Right. I mean, he's just. He's so much bigger than everyone. He shoots threes when he needs to. I mean, I don't, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. He's just, he's the best player. It just doesn't even seem close. Here's what's kind of cool for the NBA. You know, a league that went for a long time of guard and forward play, you know, like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, uh, you know, Chris Paul. This is for the last four consecutive years, a big man's league, Giannis, two MVPs, Jokic, two MVPs, and Bede maybe should have had the MVP. So big men are getting the MVP and all three of them are international players. That's really good for the NBA uh, to be able to like, as a worldwide enterprise, that's a pretty cool thing. Um, it, it, listen, like I said this morning, uh, I don't talking about, you know, the Sixers ability to go six. I don't want to be a heat player right now, taking the wrath of Embiid, getting pissed off, having been denied that award. And let's not forget, and we maybe we'll get to this a little bit later, but this guy is doing this literally with a broken face, a torn ligament in his shooting hand thumb, uh, return from a mild concussion, meaning he couldn't practice before game three. And he's still taking over the floor. It's pretty... You talk about pretty most amazing. valuable player. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. 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 I would not well, want to yeah. Miami to, uh, it, tonight. 
tomorrow night. Now, Pope, you you touched on it a little bit uh, earlier, though. But um, are the players on the court deciding the games in these playoffs, or is it someone else? You know, uh, I'm a little worried about the flagrant fouls, uh, the way that they're doing them. It doesn't seem to be any consistency. Uh, it's I can see how it's really frustrating. Um, as far as the calls, uh, I think the Mavs, you know, they were not happy the way the first two games were called the second, the third and fourth game, the Suns weren't happy. Um, it's, it's, uh, uh, I don't know. It's, it's really tough to say that the refs are putting the thumb on the scale in these games. There's just a lot of inconsistency and it, it is a, you know, the NBA is a violent game right now. I mean, look at the Grizzlies and Warriors. Uh, that was a, a violent collision um, when uh, Gary Payton Jr. was going up for um, a breakaway and and Brooks hit him in the head, knocked him down, and he broke his elbow and he his ligament damage. He's out for the, at least the playoffs and who knows how much longer. And that um, was that was like a that was like a, a UCF move. I mean, that was really yeah. outrageous that that play. And and I thought he deserved more than a one game suspension. So the NBA actually the you know the league office was kind of nice to him on that. If the Suns get through, and you're right, um, the the Mavs have definitely figured it out. I think the Mavs should send a little bit of a gift to the Pelicans and particularly Jose Alvarado because I think what he demonstrated is how you get up into CP3's head. And the Mavs absolutely have grabbed onto that and have used that. But if the Suns get through, I think they needed Peyton to guard either Booker or CP3. And I think that could be a deciding injury in the playoffs if the Suns get through. But the fouls are out of control. Um, I've been watching a lot of the playoffs. I was fortunate to go to the Sixers game three. Every play down, if a player wants to, all he has to do is drive the lane, get some contact, and he's going to the line. And it, it, you know, some of these—I mean, I'll admit—some of these, some of these drives by Harden are just ugly through the lane. There's no chance he'll make the shot, but he's smart. Right. He knows that a foul is going to be called. And right. the 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 officiating the Buck Celtics game yesterday was horrendous. I do think some of those calls on CP3 were really, really light. Um, they're just calling everything right now. And I, it's not an enjoyable product. There's, you're not seeing a lot of the back and forth and the NBA has got a problem when most of the conversation after every game is about the officiating, not an outstanding play, not a sequence where you went back and forth. It's about how out of whack the uh, the calls were. That's a problem. And they're going to have to figure that out. Yeah. I mean, I, I caught, I don't remember what, which game or what night it was, but it was, it was a Dallas Dallas Phoenix game. And it was like, I mean, there was a stretch where every time down the court, whichever side, it was a foul. I, I mean, I, I think it was like seven or eight plays in a row where there was a foul call. That That's not, I mean, that's not enjoyable. Garbage. So. Well, but when you let them play, sometimes they get too physical. It's a, it's a fine line. Well, but if you let them play, and you don't call the fouls, then guys will stop flopping. You know, some of the, some of it is flopping and, you know, guys will stop doing that because they're not going to get the call. So then they realize they got to play defense. Just, just let them play. The guys will stop going down, down on their backs 
on the court, you know, every time. And they'll actually contest some shots and don't call the fouls when they contest them. Let them see if the ball goes through the, through the hoop. Agreed. Uh, let them play. Let the guys play. Agreed. It'll, it'll all work. It all works itself out. I mean, a little of this is players can advantage. Like, like Hal said, you know, Harden driving, not because he's got a lane or anything, because he knows he's going to get to the free throw line. So the, the, it'll all work out if you just let them play the game. Well, unfortunately, you know, it's too bad to be talking about the playoffs and have to talk about referees, but we we can't even stop it there this week. Um, I mean, we got to talk about NBA fans going, going a little wild too. Um, And we talked about this. Yeah. Well, we talked about this last week. Um, You know, I don't remember if it was on our punchable face of the week, but, but we mentioned this, I think last episode uh, number 63, but I, I mean, the fans are taking some liberties in the stands and it got a little ugly in Dallas uh, yesterday. Right. Pope. Yeah. So see, so Chris Paul's uh, family was there on mother's day, his, uh, his mom and his wife and kids. Um, and they were, you know, they're sitting behind the Phoenix bench and there was a, a family <laughs> with an older kid. who's just a, an asshole. And from, from what we understand, he, pushed uh chris's wife and put hands on whatever that means you know uh his mom and other people around saw it so it's not like you know it was just chris saying this happened and nobody else backed it up but the but credit to the mavericks and the aac because they got they got the family out and it it was a just a a kid a, a thug uh he's taller than he's probably taller than chris paul he's a big kid but he's clearly just a kid and, you know, his mom and his little brother, they were all escorted out. Um, at least, you know, at least that was policed, but uh, who are these people to think that they can, can uh, harass players, families like that? What, where does that come from? Bison, Bison said it a couple of weeks ago. It, it's only a matter of time till there's an intersection between what's going on in the court and what happens in the stands. Uh, you know, the melee in Detroit from years yeah. and years ago when that happened. PJ Carlissimo. And- it, it's going to happen again because fans are crossing the line. And I get it. I'm from a city known to have very boorish behavior from its fans. But particularly in the sports where the contact, you know, connection is so close, whether it's baseball or whether it's basketball, and, and one of the ways that the NBA is really selling is in every single stadium. I mean, you are you are just a couple of feet away with a good couple hundred people around the perimeter of the court and all of those seats. I mean, you are right there and it doesn't. And if you got someone's tickets for a single game, it's not going to deter you. If you might be a season ticket holder, you might worry about losing your season tickets. But if someone gifted you those seats or you bought them on StubHub, it's not going to deter you from being an asshole like that kid was. Well, Barkley talked about it on on the TNT you know, wrap-up. He's like, you ought to hear the stuff that fans say uh, to the players when they're like trying to bring the ball in from out of bat. I mean, they're, they're standing within you know that kind of distance of, of the fans. And he said, he said, you know what, I, I would like to have a five minute opportunity to take the fan who says something like that out to mid midcourt and ask him if he'd like to repeat what he just told me. Right. That's right. <laughs> well, so, you know, listen, I mean, you know, look, I, when, when I was, you know, in high school and playing sports and stuff, you know, 
it was always sort of beaten into us that you keep keep your talk in the stands or or on the court or on the field, keep it your way, right? Cheer on your guys, talk up your guys. You don't you don't talk trash. Now, that's not the world we live in anymore, right? Players talk trash all day long. We mic up guys so that we can hear the trash talk. You know, guys, some guys do it jokingly with each other. Other guys get a little a little ugly with it. Um, but we live in the trash talk era. I mean, we've been in it for 20 years now. The problem is now the fans think they're part of it. They think they can talk talk trash too. The, the, the difference is that guy on the court doesn't have any respect for you as a fan uh, talking shit to him because you're, you're not you're not on his his level uh, playing the game. So now you're just an annoying, you know, little gnat to that guy, right, in the background. That's why it's going to get ugly at some point. And, and not just the trash talk era, but let's even, we can even put that on steroids. You know, look, at the risk of getting political about it, we, we talk about, you know, political correctness has become a bad phrase. But political correctness is really what we used to say was manners and being polite, right? I mean, there's there's no hesitancy to say whatever you want to whoever you want, whenever you want, in whatever way you want anymore. And that's just, that's that's not how we all grew up, I don't think, right? I don't think that's how, how we grew up. And you're seeing it. I mean, think about this. You, Pope, you said it. It was a kid. It was a yeah, kid. kid. I mean, what is going on that that kid thinks for one second that being rude to 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 an elder of his, even though I'm sure Chris Paul's wife isn't that old, but you know, or to Chris Paul's mom, I mean, Kids, what, what is are, wrong with him? People are defining themselves as an individual by winning versus losing, and if there's a threat that a player on the field's performance could make you as an individual a loser you're going to act like a total jerk off. I mean, it's really gotten unbelievably personal. It's like somehow they're going to affect the play on the court by being nasty to fans in the stands or yelling something onto the court. Just, I I mean, look, I'm sure I've been at games and booed and been nasty to other players, but you never crossed a line like that. I, I think your point is right. Root for good stuff from your, from your team you know, have, be good natured about the way you're going to jeer or boo, but don't cross a line and certainly don't cross a line with somebody else's kid or family or whatever. I think it can all be traced to the Cameron, uh, Cameron stadium, uh, atmosphere where ah. they're so rude to other players. Of course. <laughs> all, right. Uh, all right. Well, listen, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully we can get through the playoffs now with, with, uh, let's have no more injuries. No more badly officiated games, and by all means, let's keep the fans uh, keep it keep it going their way. Um, anything outside of NBA? Go Sixers. Go Mavs. It's fun to have our teams. Uh, it's great. Continue to go. go. Great. Go Caps. Yeah. Um, hey, go <laughs> Stars. I mean, we're not talking NHL tonight, but we you know we got some teams going. We have another six months of that. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> Milk's <laughs> lightning are still still alive. They'll be playing till uh, till August. Uh, hey, there was a little uh, known horse race this weekend. House, what happened to the Derby? Anything the most, interesting? The most exciting two minutes in sports. 
just became the most phenomenally Disney movie, two minutes in sports. Um, for all of our fans, was that uh, Seabiscuit? Yes. <laughs> for all of our fans that put a wager down on Rich Strike, we are still looking for a sponsor. So please call us. Um, and, and you're lying. You're lying so you if you say that. Um, you know, sometimes if you go to the track and you 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 take the long shot. And if you made a $2 bet with every other horse in the field, you just took horse 21, rich strike, and you bet a $2 exacta, you know, with every other horse. So you said, as long as rich strike comes in, as long as the long shot comes in with another horse, um, the exacta paid 4,101.20. And if somehow you were like, well, I'm just going to take rich strike and I'm going to match him up with the two odds, odds on favorites, epicenter and Zandone. The trifecta paid fourteen thousand eight hundred and seventy dollars. I mean, that's crazy. On a two dollar, on a two dollar bet. Two dollar bet. On a two dollar bet. But the stories behind this thing. Why was he number twenty one? Well, no, he was from the twenty twenty first uh, post. That's what was his, you know, well, number. What happened on. to number twenty? Number twenty. Uh-huh. Um, just so happened, did not race in the race. And as a result of number 20, not racing, that is the only reason we can even tell the rich strike story, which is just part of this unbelievable story. They, this horse had one win in seven prior races. He was a slow horse with poor speed figures in the warmup. He, he didn't even have a solid race previously in a stakes race. And how did the owner get this horse? In his second race in the fall, there's what's called a claiming race. You can just put in a claim on the horse that you want, and afterwards, that horse becomes yours. And so this owner, who's kind of just, you're like, I'll take a flyer on a whole bunch of horses, which is what he had done, Rich, Rich Rick Dawson. He had never even won an allowance race as an owner, but he put in a claim as another flyer, as he had done so many times. And he put down 30,000 bucks, which in the world of horse racing is chump change. Put 30,000 bucks down on a claiming race. And what did he get? He got rich strike. Which That's the minimum into policy a, limits in Texas, by the way. Right. Which <laughs> yeah. turned into a $1.8 million winner this past weekend. The trainer, Eric Reed, has been a trainer for three decades. And he's never had a single graded stakes winner. Here's... What's amazing, this jockey, Sonny Leone, he basically is like, he's like a trailer track jack jockey. He goes to the smaller tracks and he gets volume like wins. Interestingly, in 2021, he had the 11th most wins just by pure wins of any jockey in the country. But in terms of jockey earnings, he was 65th. Which, if you think about it, that means he's winning a lot, a lot of cheap races and not making very much. But if you watched his race, he was 15th after a mile and 17th after the final turn just before the mile and ran the most incredible race. So how was it that Rich Strike won this race? People ask, like, well, how did this even happen? The story is actually and how the race started. Some of the people say that this race started at basically like this frenetic suicidal pace. Just just looking at numbers. Was the fastest first quarter in Derby history. The opening quarter was 21.78 seconds. By comparison, 
the last quarter was 25.65 seconds, a full four <laughs> seconds slower. These horses were gassed. And that's what allowed Rich Strike to win is that the, the odds on favorites just ran out of steam and uh, he hunted them down. It's pretty incredible. There's some, there's some cool backstory. Now more of this is coming out. First of all, it's kind of a, a neat aspect to this. This horse was actually originally bred at pretty much one of the most famous farms in all of the country, Calumet Farms, which bred Whirl Away and Citation, two Triple Crown winners, and Ali Dar, who, who was runner-up in all three Triple Crown races to Affirmed in 1978. And this, uh, this farm did breed Rich Strike, but then basically gave him up. Um, and his, his, da- his daddy... Uh, Keen Ice upset our last Triple Crown winner was American Pharaoh in 2015. And after the Triple Crown is over, the next really big race is the Travers. And Triple uh, in in 2015, Keen Ice upset American Pharaoh at the Travers. So upset is in the bloodlines. Um, he is going to show up at the Preakness. Um, if there's a way to short horses, I would like to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's still, it's, it's an awesome story for horse racing. Cause I feel like horse racing, like boxing, like some of these sports that are a little bit on the outside, they need a good story to reinvigorate it and horse racing got it this weekend. So rich strike is both the Derby winner and probably a bonus lasso winner too. I mean, did y'all have y'all watched the entire race with the announcer? Oh yeah. 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 His name was mentioned one time in the last, you know, down the stretch, it's just, it's epicenter. It's, uh, what was yeah. it? And on it's epicenter. It's rich strike out yeah. of nowhere. Take the yeah. I mean, it wasn't like they were previewing him coming down. He just, he just showed up and smoked them. Yeah. The, stretch. the NBC sports isolated footage of this ride that Sonny Leone did riding all the way from back in the pack. It was crazy, crazy, crazy blazing speed coming down. Very cool, very cool story. They're gonna so, they're gonna try to figure out fun. how to prevent him from taking the preakness. That you know, it's a it's one in an eight, so he would not have won the preakness. Right, right, right. All right, good story. That that's a lot of fun. Um, and hopefully somebody got rich on it that we know. We'll buy us drinks next time we're with them. Uh, hey, any punchable faces of this week? Come on, man. And with the local DBC news, Evan Cool J with the triumphant comeback. More But tonight, don't call it a comeback. Mama said, I'm gonna Mama said, Who's got I thought one? You had one, Bison. I got, I do. I got one. Uh, and, and I'm sure a lot of people saw this. Um, but what going back to officials, what is going on with some of these major league baseball umpires? These guys cannot help themselves. And, and I, look, I'm not going to belabor this one. A lot of people probably saw Madison Baumgartner get into a little tiff with the home plate umpire uh, in a game against the Marlins. I guess it was I think it was Wednesday last week. And, you know, he, he, he kind of has a little stare down with the home plate guy. And the first base umpire, a guy, Dan Bellino, 
I guess he didn't appreciate the stare down because he decided he was going to come over and do one of those, you know, foreign substance checks on, on Baumgartner. And he got a little, it was a little uncomfortable how long and, and how thorough the exam was. But the thing about it was the whole time he was doing it, he was just staring down uh, Mad Bomb. And, and so he's, you know, he's just staring him down. And finally, Baumgartner said something to him and he threw him out of the game. But what the fuck? Dan Bellino, what a jackass. You are not who people are there to see. Just shut up and do your job and stop trying to show what a tough guy you are. And that's for all umpires. So Dan Bellino, you get the punchable face of the week, but you're taking it on the chin for referees in all sports who just think that they're uh, that they're bigger than the game. That's what I got. Are, are we doing a quick milk slap for uh, Martin Brundle? Yeah, you got to do a milk slap. Well, Go ahead, Bison. I mean, you, can... you can debate it, Bison. You can debate it. But if you're going to come well... to the country, if you're going to come to the country and walk pit <laughs> row, and there's going to be all these famous people, like, honestly, get at least one of their names right. But if you want to see something hilarious, just watch some of that, basically the takes. Go on to Twitter, go on to Google and look up Martin Brundle. F1 interviews, such as when he came up to Paolo Banchero from Duke and kept calling him, hey, Patrick, hey, Patrick, thinking he was Patrick Mahomes. And Banchero wouldn't turn around for good reason. <laughs> His name's not oh, Patrick. What was, was Banchero doing down there anyway? That's, that that's was, my, that was that's what, my that problem. Was question. I had that question. I would have punched him just for being down there. That's funny. I was wondering about that. Yeah, it was it was uncomfortable watching. And then he and he called he kept calling Ser- Venus Serena. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the guy goes down there. You know, his job is he usually goes down there and grabs a driver or two or or uh, you know a principal or something to one of these teams. But that was one of the complaints about Miami was that they just let every celebrity down uh, down into the into the track there at the grid. And the poor guy just, he was like, I should be talking to this person, but I don't know who that is. So. He goes up to that social influencer guy. He's like, I don't know who you are, but you look important. What's your name? Yeah, it was <laughs> it was very uncomfortable. So I, I don't know. Poor Martin. He probably needs a hug, not a milk slap. But give, how about a, how about a lasso? A, how about a Juwan Howard hug for him? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who's, got a, who's got a Ted Lasso this week? I, I I have one, but I don't really want to utter it for fear of snowman effect. So I'm just I'm not going to call it the lasso award. I'm just going to call it the Willis Reed award because I really do got to give it to this guy Embiid for. Oh I, I know it's a homer, but I, I fear that next week when we when we're back on the pod, the Sixers may be out of the playoffs, and uh, if that happens, I still think something has to be said about the gutty performance of this guy. I mean, he we just take him for granted as an athlete in our time, but there is a guy that's dominating the biggest stage right now of the playoffs with uh, a torn ligament in his thumb, a orbital fracture, literally a broken face and a concussion wearing a mask that cannot be very easy to see. And I, I don't know. I think it's just a pr- I, I understand I'm unbelievably biased as a Sixers fan, but I just feel like as a regular sports fan, it's a pretty cool thing to watch what this guy is doing on this stage. And I don't think he deserves a lasso because that would mean I'd be jinxing him, but I do want to give him the Willis Reed award. It does raise a question though. 
how can something so big with so many muscles be so easily breakable? Oh, here we go. I'm <laughs> curious. Another punchable face. <laughs> now, listen, I like Embiid. I, I do. I really do like Embiid. I like watching him. So, and, and it is impressive. He is the opposite of Ben Simmons, right? I mean, it, it just could not be any more apparent. He is the polar opposite of, of his old teammate, Ben Simmons. It's unbelievable. Crazy. You can see why they couldn't coexist. All right, guys. Good, uh, good pod this week. Uh, we looking forward to having rooster and milk back with us. It's, uh, it's not the same without milk, open palm slapping somebody every week. So good luck to the bad news bears milk. Yeah. Yeah. Guys have a good week. Good luck with all your games. SMQBs are Brian Bandwagon Pope, who hails from Dallas, Texas, and has never met a first-place team that he didn't have a personal connection to. Michael Rooster Phelan, hailing from Richmond, and who roots for teams from New York, or is it Boston? I can't remember which it was. One or the other. Also, Patrick Milk Michler from Tampa Bay, and he is still massively in love with Tom Brady and will never get over his man crush on the GOAT. Toby House Milrod, a long-suffering sports fan, hailing from Philadelphia, whose Eagles team, mm, they're still looking for another quarterback. And I am Chris Bison Nace, hailing from Washington, District of Champions. Thanks for listening.